10 years, from not playing for 10 years, and uh, I'm glad he pushed me to it. So, still, still had quite a few butterflies, though. <laughs> All right, so uh, 1 Kings, chapter 17, fairly familiar uh, passage that we'll be going over this morning. The, the title of the message this morning is called, Not... Okay, because we're going to observe a few knots that are mentioned in here, not the knots that you tie in string, but a few knots that we're going to be discovering and seeing what we're going to be, see what the Lord is going to have for us today. Um, so starting in verse 1, we need to kind of get the context of what's going to happen through our main text that we're going to be going through in uh, verses 8 through 16. But starting in verse 1, it says, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall, be, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except by my word. Here we're introduced to the prophet Elijah, and uh, this is the only thing that we really know about him whenever we come into, into, as he's introduced, is that he was a Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead. And his first appearance is before King Ahab. King Ahab is not a good guy. He is an evil guy. He's hooked up with Jezebel, and they're just very ungodly. They are promoting the worship of Baal. So they've left the one true God, and they're driving everyone to worship Baal, this false god. Now, we see Elijah. He comes before the king Ahab, a uh, Baal supporter. You know, he's, he's doing this, and he tells him there's not going to be any rain. The one true God, the Lord God of all people, of all Israel, is telling you there's not going to be any rain nor dew until I come back and tell you. Now, what has he just done there? Well, the God of, the God of Baal, he's more of a, this was more of a fertility faith, but one of the things that was attributed to Baal was plenty of rain and good crops. So now we have um, Elijah who's coming to this king saying, your God is no good. He's not going to be able to help you. As a matter of fact, my one true God has determined that it, you're not going to get any rain whatsoever. So Elijah has put himself in not so good of a position with the king. Would you agree? He's an evil king. As a matter of fact, very soon after this, they start to, take, they start to round up all the prophets of the one true God. And they start to kill them. In the following chapters, you will see where Obadiah actually has to take the prophets of God and hide them into caves and provide for them for their safety and their life. So when Elijah comes to King Ahab and he says, you're not going to have any rain because your God can't handle it. My one true God is going to keep this Baal from getting worship. And so therefore we see in verse 2, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook of Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded ravens to feed you there. Nobody else find that strange? Okay, yeah, I find that to be pretty strange how God was going to provide for him. You know, if it was me, I'd be like, okay, if you're promising a drought here, you know, one of the birds gets close enough, I'll change, I will promote myself to colonel and change my name to Sanders. We will have bird. But however, he says, I have commanded ravens to feed you there. So he went up and he did according to what the Lord had said. It says, for he went and he stayed by the brook of Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened that after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land, just as God had said it was going to be. 
So now we get into the bulk of their scripture we're going to be talking about this morning. So let's just briefly read through it. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. I bet he's thinking, well, that's much more, that makes a lot more sense. Okay, we've gone from ravens, now we've gone to a widow. Okay, so at least I got a human person to, uh, to provide for me. He says, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he rose, he rose and he went to Zarephath. And when he had came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Then she said, as, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering these sticks together that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that I may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. Afterward, make some for yourself and for your son. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar run dry until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her household ate for many days. So there's a lot that we can see here in, in, this, um, in this short passage of Scripture. And what we see is we see a widow who thought that she was going to die, that the very near future brought nothing but death for her and her son. And there was nothing that she could do about it. She didn't have the resources, obviously, to, to provide for her or her family. She and her son, they were almost out of food. Apparently the time of the famine from the time that um, Elijah had made this announcement to, uh, to King Ahab and from the time that he was there at the Jordan uh, or at the river of Cherith, she had depleted all of her resources and she was down to one handful of flour and just a little bit of oil in a jar. A little oil, of jar. not even a little jar of oil, but a little oil in a jar and that's all that she had. And her expectations was she was going to fix a small snack for her and her son. And as the days go by, they would wither away and die. But in the passage, what we do see is we see that God had changed this woman's negative situations into something very positive. He brought her from a point where what she thought she had wasn't going to be enough. But, she, but God turned that around and made it into something that was plentiful. He brought her from a point of fear and anxiety and depression to a point of assurance with great faith in the very word of God. And due to the faith of Elijah and this widow, they were sustained throughout the famine that lasted for over three and a half years. We can truly see the hand of God working in and through this situation. Now, the first thing that we want to take a look at, the first knot that we have is the have not. The have not. Now, where do we find this in, in here? It's verses 8. Starting in verse 8, it says, Then the word came to, the, came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. And so he rose up, and he went there, and he came into the city, and he saw the widow gathering sticks, and he spoke to her, and he said, Can you please bring me a drink of water? Now, what can we find out about this widow? 
According to what we can find here, she was a woman of faith. She believed in the one true God. She believed in, um, in him. In verse 12, it says, and so she said to him, Elijah, as the Lord your God lives. She believed that God, was, God existed. He believed that he was. And as sure as he existed, she was sure that she did not have any bread. But she was a woman of faith. She was obviously in a place where God could communicate with her. She, was, she had a relationship with him because it says that I have commanded a woman, a widow, to provide for you when you get to that city. So there's some positive things that we can see about this widow woman. I would assume that she was even expecting Elijah. If she was commanded to provide for, uh, for Elijah, she would be expecting, but maybe not knowing exactly what was expected of her when that happened. But she knew that she was to provide for him. So what was the very first thing that, they, that, um, that he said to her whenever they met? Please get me a drink of water. And obviously she had enough water, did she not? She had enough water. She said, okay, well, we've got enough water. So I'm going to go get you a glass of water and bring it to you. So she started off to go, to go, to go get that. Thank goodness he didn't ask for food. <laughs> Thank goodness he didn't ask for something I have. God, thank you for the opportunity that I could provide for one of your godly men with this cup of water that I can provide. I've got enough water that I can give to this man. And I can honor you by obeying your command and providing this. But, uh, but as she turned away, what did he ask for? Something she didn't have. Something she felt that she didn't have enough of. Said, could you please bring me a morsel of bread? I'm sorry, Elijah, just as sure as the God, your Lord God exists, I don't have any bread. As a matter of fact, all I've got is a handful of meal, a handful of flour. I've got a few drops of oil. Um, you can see I'm sitting there gathering sticks. I'm going to prepare this flour and oil together. My son and I, we're going to have our final meal, and we're going to die. Think about the moment that she, she was asked that question. She'd been given the command by God to provide for God's man as he came in, and then he asked the question of something that she could not or she didn't think she would be able to provide for him. Like, I just don't have the bread. When he asked the question, you can just imagine her thoughts. You know, I want to be obedient to God. I want to do what he says. And I've got this man here who I've been commanded to provide for, but he's asking for bread. And the fear that may have come over her. She's, she's, she's put in a position where she may have to think and believe that she's going to, have to ever have to choose of, of feeding this man and starving herself and her son in order to be obedient to God. So you can think of the fear and maybe the anxiety that would just kind of come over her at this time. I mean, she's already got the weight of the world on her shoulders, does she not? She's already facing probably many different questions of whether or not how she wants to handle this last bit of flour and oil. Does she give all of it to her son so, he, so his life is sustained for a short time? But in doing that, that would cause her to die off first and then she would leave him alone? Does she give him anything so she can nourish herself, so she can be there during her son's last, last breath? There's a lot of things that were probably going on in her mind. And she's now to the point where she wants to be obedient to God, and yet he asked for bread. I just don't have it. All I've got is this. That's all I've got. I don't have enough for you too. I just don't have enough. I don't have it to have not. But I also want you to understand, at this point, if we focus on what we don't have, if we focus on what we don't have, you will never have enough. Does that make sense? If we're always looking for reasons why we don't do things, you're always going to have those reasons. If you're always looking for something else to gain before you're willing to step, 
You'll always have those excuses. It will always be there for you to, to use and to take. And if you focus on what you don't have rather than what little you may have, you will find yourself in a life full of fear, anxiety, and depression because you think that you have nothing or you don't have enough. So rather than focusing on what we don't have, we focus on what we do have. Now notice God commanded this widow woman. Do you think that God knew her situation? Yes. Do you think that God knew that she didn't have the resources to fully, fully plenish herself or another person? Yes, God knew that. God knew that she didn't have the resources, but God did not ask the wealthiest person in the land. He didn't command the person with the most, um, with the most backstash of food. No, God came to this widow woman and said, like, I want you to take care of my man. And for whatever reason that God chose this woman to do this, uh, there could be a couple different reasons. One is, is that this woman was actually willing. There may not have been somebody who was wealthy enough, who was willing enough to actually provide for uh, God's servant. But then again, on the other side, we understand that God looks to and fro, seeking in whom those he can show himself to be strong. This was an opportunity for God to show himself strong through this widow woman. He could show himself because in, in providing for her, her son, and her household, and Elijah, it was something that would be impossible for them to do on their own strength, and they would have a rest in God, and then God would ultimately get the glory because there's no way that they could have done it on their own. But for whatever reason God chose her is irrelevant. The fact of the matter is, is he did. He did choose this widow woman, and he didn't choose the wealthiest. But however... If we focus on what we do not have, we're always going to have an excuse for not moving forward. You know, if this is as far as she went, said, look, I'm sorry, I just don't have any bread for you. I got enough for me and my son. Here's your water. Good day, sir. Thank you. And move forward. I just don't have enough. So how do we move out of this I don't have? Because the I have nots will cause fear. It will cause you to stove up. It will cause you to freeze in your steps. So how do we go from have-nots to fear-nots? How do we eliminate the fear of knowing and believing, look, I don't have anything. I don't have what I need to do this, but however, I've got a little. Listen to what is, what is told her. After she says, I don't have enough bread, I only have enough oil and flour um, to prepare for my son so we can eat it and die. And then in verse 13, it says, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Okay, that, that message alone just doesn't work, does it? How many of you ever been in a fearful situation? Someone says, just don't worry about it. And then all your problems just went away. No, it just doesn't happen that way, okay? Words, words very seldomly um, will, will be able to do that unless there's some weight to it. If there's something that it can carry along with that message that will give us a hope, that will give us a future, that give us something upon which we can lean and stand on. But if he says, look, just don't worry about it, don't, don't be afraid, well, what do you mean, don't be afraid? We're living in a famine. I told you I've only got a handful of flour and just a few drops of oil. This is my last meal. My son and I, we are going to die. Well, don't be afraid, right? Don't be afraid, but listen to what he goes on to say. He says, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. How many of you would take that lightly? You mean to tell me you want me to prepare for you what I've, what I've set aside for me and my son's last meal, so you want me to take food out of my son's mouth in order to feed you. I don't think I would handle that too well. But what does he go to say? He says, he says, go ahead and do what you're wanting to do. Go ahead and do what you were going to do, but first prepare for me a cake and bring it to me, and then 
Take the remainder of it and make you and your son bread and you eat. I, I don't believe that, it, that any of this verse was enough to convince her. Because you have a strange man who shows up, asks for water, and then he asks for bread. You explain to him you don't have enough, and then he says, look, I want you to make me something out of that first, and then you can have the leftovers. So what would have convinced her to do something like that? How many of you mothers at this point would be willing to do that? All right, none of you. So what could have convinced her to do something like this? We'll look at verse 14. We've already learned a little bit about her, correct? Then his following statement was, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, You will not use up your flour, and you will not use up your oil. So she has been delivered a promise from the one true God that if, in fact, she will use this flour and oil to provide for Elijah, that it will not run out. Now, why is she convinced to do this? Well, this may sound very familiar. I promise I didn't seek this out, but it just works. I would say that she really, truly believed what God said. Did she not? Can you see the substance of things hoped for here? Can you see the evidence of things not seen as we went through you know, several weeks of, uh, of studying about what it means to please God and how it requires faith? Do you see the exercise of faith that's about to take place? And do you see the very, the very grounding of it is the fact that God has spoken. And, it's, and, and what we see is that by faith, you know, we see that by faith Noah prepared the ark, but by faith, what does she prepare? A cake, Right? Using the oil that she had set aside for her and her son's last meal, by faith, she believed God and she prepared that cake for him. And also something I want you to see in here is what she asked to do something that she did not know how to do. No. Was she asked to use something that she did not have? No. Did she have the resources to do what God had asked her for? Absolutely. He wasn't asking for more, but he wasn't asking for anything less either. See, God came to her, or Elijah came to her. He delivered the message from God. says, go and do what you've always done, what you know how to do. You know how to make a cake. Take what you have. Don't worry about what you don't have, but take what you have, this little bit of flour, this little bit of oil. Take what you do have and go do with it what you already know how to do and prepare a cake and if you're willing to be obedient to God in this, the promise for you to claim, the promise for which you can hold on to is that your flour will not run out and neither will your oil. You will be sustained. That's a pretty tough thing to believe, is it not? Yeah, because what we see is a miracle happening here. We're seeing a handful of flour and a few drops of oil sustaining them for the rest of the famine and they all were provided for. Was it based on what they didn't have? No, it was based on what they did have. And though it wasn't a lot, it was a little, it was barely anything. It was barely enough for a snack for her and her son. But however, but they chose to be obedient to the one true God and to trust what his word said. And, and they, they made the cake, they used it how they had normally used it, and they prepared the food and they ate. Now, I don't know how many people were actually in the household with this widow, but it doesn't just name the widow and her son and Elijah, but it says Elijah, she and he and her household ate for many, many days. So I don't know how long the famine had actually been going on at this point, but I know that the famine was three and a half years, and we know that that handful of flour and oil 
sustained them until the rain came back. Even after Elijah had left, because he had, he had some work to do, he had to go back to Ahab and say, look, the rain is actually going to come back. But even after he left, this woman was still being provided for out of what she had, not what she didn't have. So yes, God can take the very smallest things that we have. We may think we not, may not have enough. We may not think we have anything to offer to the ministry. We may think that there's nothing that I can do. There's nothing I can add. All I have is just this little bit of thing. I don't have this and I don't have that. I don't have this and I don't have that. Therefore, I can't be of any use. That's not the way that God sees it. Because God can take something very little, something very minuscule that we have, even if it's just our willing heart to be obedient and to do what he says, and he can do great and mighty things. Big things. Things that, we could, that are beyond our imagination. God can make things happen. But are we going to be willing to actually hand over what little we have and be able to do what he has given us the ability to do with it in order to see his mighty hand work? Are we going to be willing to let go and allow God to have what we think is not enough. Because she was taken out of what, she was taking um, out of her poverty. She was taking something that, that she couldn't afford to give. She said, look, I can't afford to give. This is my son and I, this is my last meal. It wasn't even really a meal much, what was it? It was like a snack for them. So look, it's like, this is all that I've got. And God says, well, give it to me. Give it to me. And you'll be amazed what I can do with that. And she did. And it didn't just feed them for one meal. It fed them day after day after day after day. And it supplied them until God brought another way to provide them food, which was rain that came back to the land. They were sustained until the famine was over. God fulfilled his promise to this widow. So I want you to understand, when it comes to us focusing on the have-nots, I say we switch gears. Let's just focus on what we do have. What we do have to offer up to the Lord. And what we can erase our fear of what we think we don't have is that we, we actually get into the very word of God and we start claiming the promises of God and start believing God and stepping out of faith and doing what he says and then we allow him to fulfill his promises through us. The Bible says that if we do seek first the kingdom of God and his, and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto us. Our needs will be met. You may not get the fancy cars and the big houses, but your needs will be met. God will provide for you for his will and his purpose. For whatever God has foreordained for you to do and the works that he wants you to do, he is providing everything you need in order to carry out those works for his honor and his glory. And it may be through poverty, it may be through riches. But however, the provisions will be there. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you and stop worrying about tomorrow, is what he tells us. Stop worrying. Now understand we have fears and we, and we, and we, want, and we worry about things and some fears are actually, um, and some fears are uh, validated and some are not. A lot of times we fear things that we shouldn't even fear of. Do you know that 80% of things that we, that we fear never come true? 80%. Now, that's a study by somebody smarter than me. I'm not I'm just saying that. I didn't make that up. But according to research, 80% of what we worry about is wasted time. And to be honest, what do we have to worry about? I mean, truly, what does a child of God have to worry about? What does an obedient child of God have to worry in this world? Well, I'll tell you what, if we truly believe what God's word says, 
We truly lean on Jesus Christ as our, provi- as, as our provider. And as we walk alongside him, trusting him and knowing that he's going to provide whatever he's called us to do, he is going to be, he is, he is the one who is paying the bills here, not me. What fear would you have? If you had complete and total trust in God, our heavenly father, with whom you have a relationship through Jesus Christ, what should cause fear in you? Anybody got Anything? Right? What should cause fear? Absolutely nothing. But what does cause fear? Many, many things. Many things because I believe we focus on what we don't have. We focus on the solution that we can't come up with. We focus on things that are above and beyond our ability to correct without leaning on the one who can correct all things. The one who has the solution to the problems. The one that can take a handful of flour and just a little bit of oil and sustain a family through a few years of a famine. Our God is exactly that big. So what we'll move from, move from is from the focus of a have not to trusting in God and fearing not. And whenever we're willing to do that and really step out and trust God, really believe what he says, then I believe that our resources will be depleted not. The, bill, the bin of flour was not used up. Let's look at verse 14. It says, thus says the Lord, of, Lord God of Israel, the bin of your flour shall not be used up, nor the jar of oil run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And because of the word of the Lord, she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. You know, I've always, I always want, you know, God to do an amazing work through me. I mean, it's a great desire that I have, and I'm sure I share that with many of you here today, if not everyone. But I really don't think that it happens, you know, just for happening. I really believe that we have to take our part and trusting God with the very little things that we have. You know, we may think that our bin's going to go empty. We truly may believe that. We truly may believe if we look into our bin and we're scraping the bottom of the bucket of whatever it might be, and we're scraping and we're down to the very last bit that we have, and there's no way I'm going to let it go because I know this is all that I've got and I'm not, I'm not holding it tight. This is for me. It's for my family. It's for me, and I'm not letting it go. But I believe that God is even asking for his share, even in the small things, right? Even the small things that we have, would you be willing, even though you may be completely depleted to a point where this is all that I've got, are you going to be willing to, to rest in God and fear not in order for you to experience depleted not? I truly believe that God will fully supply you for his will and his purpose in your life as we are here on earth. So as we prepare for a small hymn of invitation this morning, there's a few lessons that we could learn, you know, by this widow. When I believe that God calls us to do things, I believe that he's got, he's got a perfect will lined up for you and your life. I believe that he prepared the widow for Elijah. I believe he prepared Elijah to go to that city. And God is faithful Whenever he calls us to something to make sure that we, are, that, that we are provided for during that time. God is faithful at all times. And because God is faithful, I believe we should be like the widow, willing to not hold back anything from his service. 
This morning, are fears robbing you of a joy of life? Are fears holding you back from giving God what you think you may not be able to afford? I'm not talking about money, but yes, that is one of them. You may think, I don't have enough time. Well, if you don't have enough time, you know, God can take what little time that you're going to give him and he can push you forward. This morning, I would ask, are you willing to trade in your fears and take a step in faith and trust God? So you can move from a point of have not to fear not and see God work his amazing hand in your life so you can experience the depleted not. Let's stay and let's have a quick hymn of invitation this morning. Father, we want to thank you so much for this morning. We thank you so much that you are a God who provides. We thank you so much that you're a God who is faithful. That along with your word comes a great confidence in who you are and what you've done and what you can continue to do in our lives. But Father, I pray if there's someone here today who is holding back from you, They may have been focusing on the have-nots as opposed to what they have and what you can do with what little they may feel like they have to offer. Father, I pray that you would just break their hearts and they give their lives over to you. That they'd be willing to sacrifice what is something they've been holding back for so long. But Father, I just want to again just thank you so much for Jesus. We ask you to forgive us for where we failed you. It's in his name we pray. Amen.